Welcome, patrons, and thank you for joining us at this special event. This is 10 Things, a series devoted to presenting 10 more things about all those great Saturday morning shows of the 1980s. If you're joining us, it means you wanted more than the Saturday morning podcast had to offer. Think of this as the after show, where we can make a good thing last just a little longer. So grab a can of new Coke and a handful of fruit wrinkles and come back with me to the 80s. Rewind! Again! Thunder the Barbarian ran for two seasons and 21 episodes. But you knew that. In fact, there's a lot you already know if you listen to this Saturday morning podcast. While we explored the Barbarian from Numeria, there is still plenty to look back on. Here are 10 things you might not know about Thundar the Barbarian. Number 10. Steve Gerber, Thundar's creator, worked in comic books and animated shows. He worked as a writer on Goldie Gold and Action Jack, Dungeons and Dragons, and even G.I. Joe. But there was only one time when he wrote for live action. In 1989, Gerber wrote the Season 2 episode Contagion for Star Trek The Next Generation. He was not the sole writer on it. The script is also credited to Beth Woods, and Woods only has one other credit to her name, a 1996 episode of Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys. I don't know this show, but I am a sucker for things with long and awful names. For TNG, one of Gerber's contributions to the series was the mention that Captain Picard is an archaeologist. This is a hobby that would crop up from time to time for the remainder of the series. If that wasn't enough, this show also featured the first time Captain Picard would order his signature drink, tea, Earl Grey, hot. So when you're watching Star Trek Picard and JL orders his tea, just know you're really watching an episode of Thundar, but with less sun swords. Number 9. In 1974, Gerber also wrote, directed, produced, and starred in a Super 8 film called Stricken. His wife at the time was in it, as was his friend Howard, whom the comic book Duck would be named after. Details of what the film were about is sketchy. Sadly, the Super 8 film is believed to be lost. Not even Steve Gerber knew what happened to it. Number 8. The music of Thundar was composed by Dean Elliott. The musician, born in 1925, worked almost exclusively in cartoons. He was a favorite of animation legend Chuck Jones, working on Tom and Jerry and Jones's other projects. In fact, he was the orchestrator for How the Grinch Stole Christmas and wrote the songs for The Cat in the Hat. His first musical assignment was for the 1950 variety show Four Star Review, which starred the likes of Ed Wynn, Danny Thomas, Jack Carson, and Jimmy Durante. In 1978, Elliot contracted with Ruby Spears Productions to bring music to their shows. He would do so for nearly 10 years, working on Plastic Man, Fangface, Heathcliff, and Thundar. He would end his career at Ruby Spears with the musically driven Alvin and the Chipmunks. Number 7. Speaking of Ruby Spears, the company was started by two creators who came through the Hanna-Barbera system. Joe Ruby and Ken Spears worked at Hanna-Barbera back in 1959 as sound editors. They became writers on Space Ghost and The Herculoids. 
The two were given the assignment of creating a mystery series. In 1969, they delivered with the story of Fred, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy, and of course, Scooby-Doo. Number 6. Joe Ruby and Ken Spears left Hanna-Barbera to start their own production company in 1977. They did so to offer competition to their former bosses. After all, you stagnate when you are the best. So, Ruby Spears pushed their former bosses to do better. Ruby Spears had their own hits in the form of Goldie Gold and Action Jack, Mr. T, Superman, and the long-running Alvin and the Chipmunks. Hanna-Barbera had a variety of shows based on The Flintstones and Scooby-Doo, recognizable names that went a long way with kids and their parents. While they also had originals like Trollkins and Super Friends, success was handed to them in 1981 in the form of The Smurfs. Not only that, but Hanna-Barbera beat all the other animation studios when they created their own knockoff of the Smurfs, introducing the Snorks in 1984. The friendly competition between the two purveyors of Saturday morning real estate was a win-win situation for the studios, merchandising, and us, the viewing audience. After these messages, we'll be right back. And now, these messages. You can crush, crush em, at Clyde's Car Crusher. You can mold a car or truck, decorate it, give it wheels, and crush it. It's a wreck. Go to Clyde's. The traveling crane takes it to the crusher. You turn the crank and crush it. Clyde's Car Crusher. It's fun to build them. Yeah, and it's fun to crush them. Clyde's Car Crusher. Clyde's Car Crusher. Assembly required. Comes as you see it. Including iron on patch. New from Remco. Roger, kids. He wants my wheat cereal that's part of this nutritious breakfast. Super Sugar Chris! Going somewhere, wheat free? Yeah, Sugar Bear. Gonna scoop up your Super Sugar Crisp in my rocket scooper. Yeah. Springtime. <laughs> Looks like I've got my Super Sugar Crisp, and you're all washed up. Number five. There is debate about whether Thundar was partly a Star Wars ripoff. The Sun Sword is very reminiscent of the famous lightsabers. The fact that magic exists with technology is a lot like a mix of the Force and the ship seen in a galaxy far, far away. With Thunder premiering in the fall of 1980, the show would have been in development around 1978 or 79. Star Wars came out prior and started to influence a lot of movies and TV. After all, if the original made a ton of cash, the knockoffs could grab some of it too from the audiences who wanted more. If Thunder borrowed from Star Wars, it is possible that Star Wars returned the favor. In Thunder, there is a reference to a city named Indor. While it was spelled with two R's, it's hard to ignore the fact that the 1983 Ewoks would hail from a planet with the same name. Number 4 Ugla the Mock was not named by Steve Gerber. The name actually came from a friend of Gerber's while he was at UCLA. As legend has it, Gerber had dinner in Westwood with his friend Martin Pasco. Over dinner, Gerber told Pasco of his ideas for Thundar. He spoke of the Mock character but had no name. As the two walked past the gates of the University of California at Los Angeles, Pasco sounded out UCLA to sound like Ugla. The name stuck. Number 3. 
Marty Pasco was no stranger to the world of comic books. Like Gerber, Pasco worked in the comic book industry and gained the name Pesky Pasco for nitpicking comic book stories in the letters section of DC's comic books. Because of his acute criticism, he struck up a friendship with DC editor Julius Schwartz. In 1973, he started on a long run as the writer of Superman. His career became expansive and he worked on The Atom and Dr. Fate, among others. In 1980, because of his association with Gerber, he wrote several episodes of Thundar. Pasco would go on to become the story editor for Season 2 of Thundar. He would continue to work in animation, comic books, and video games for the rest of his life. He also authored several non-fiction books about the animation field. Sadly, he passed away at the age of 65 on May 10th, 2020. Number 2. According to the world of Thundar, there was a cosmic incident that split the moon in two and devastated the Earth. This even took place in the year 1994. Now, to an audience of youngsters in 1980, 14 years in the future may very well have been 50 years. I was not clear on the cosmic incident. Was it an allegory to take better care of the planet? Probably not. Most likely, it was just a starting point to sink the world into dark times. Catching up two eons later, we find that magic and science go hand in hand. It's too bad that the incident wasn't related to pollution, global warming, or even nuclear war. This might have been hailed as an omen of things to come. But Thundar seemed devoid of messages. The show is about exploring the strange future of barbarians, mocks, and wizards. Looking into the spatial phenomena of 1994, I didn't find much. There was generally between 1 and 3 meteor showers every month of the year, nothing big enough to split the moon into two pieces. That's not to say that 1994 didn't have its fair share of disasters. January ushered in the Northridge earthquake in California measuring 6.7 on the Richter scale. Indiana also had one of the coldest days on record at a staggering negative 36 degrees Fahrenheit. And September saw the World Series canceled due to a strike for the first time in 90 years. Speaking of sports, the Dallas Cowboys would win the Super Bowl in 1994. Come to think of it, maybe a cosmic disaster would have been better. Sorry, Dallas. And now, a very special announcement. Bang, bang, bang! <laughs> oh, howdy, partner. Time for time! Do you ever get that hungry feeling after school? Boy, I do. I'm so hungry, I could eat a wagon wheel. When I'm slow on the draw and I need something to chaw, I hanker for a hunk of cheese. <laughs> when my ten-gallon hats are feeling five gallons flat, I got something planned, which is little cheese sandwiches. Come on! Here's a great little snack to tide you over till dinner. If you want something delicious and nutritious, cheese is a super snack. Look, a wagon wheel. When my get up and go has got up and went, I hanker for a hunk of cheese. When I'm dancing, I hold down and my boots kind of slow down, or any time I'm weak in the knees. I hanker for a hunk of, a slaver slice a chunk of, a snacker is a winner, and yet won't spoil my dinner. I hanker for a hunk of cheese. Yahoo! And on with the countdown. Number one. During pre-production of any show, it's not uncommon for designers to spitball with a lot of different designs. 
Thunder the Barbarian was no exception to this. Artist Jack Kirby and Alex Toth experimented with the look of the show and the characters. With a Google search, it's pretty easy to find their work. What is unusual about the work Alex Toth did is on a design for Ariel. The artist turned in a full rendering of Princess Ariel completely naked. I don't know about you, but this seems like a strange move for a kid show. Maybe it was to make sure they got her dimensions right? That she looked like a real person? For some reason? Any reason. Help me out. Why did this happen? And there you have it. 10 Things About Thunder the Barbarian. Join us next time when we take a look at 10 Things About the Smurfs. And while we're talking about it, your exclusive access to this content won't be limited to the 10 Things series. Here at the Saturday Morning Podcast, we're working on a variety of episodes. Coming up, we'll have a deeper look at the people behind the characters going in-depth on actors like Frank Welker, Don Messick, and others. We'll curate an entire day of programming on ABC, CBS, and NBC. It'll be a trip to a certain Saturday back in the 80s with rundowns of all the shows of that day, complete with all the usual commercials and public service announcements. All this great content will be available to patrons on Saturday, of course. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us at the Saturday Morning Podcast 10 Things Series. If you'd like to drop us a line, please write to satmornpod at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at satmornpod. Do you have any vintage Saturday morning memories? Email us your story and we could read it on the next episode.